0: Church family, today as we read the scripture, we're going to read the same thing we've just sung. Today we're going to read about Israel gathering at the foot of Mount Sinai and God appearing to them and telling them how holy he is. But he's inviting them to connect with him. And so what we just sang together, we're about to study together. And I hope that as the, I hope that as the service unfolds and as you sit before God for an hour, as you focus your heart for the rest of this week... That each one of us will be transformed with the idea that we are standing in the presence of a holy god that loves us and invites us into his midst you know as you turn your bibles to exodus 19 and as our choir members find a place to sit i just want to tell you something i'm excited about at carterville not only this week are we declaring the goodness of god in what we sing and in the decisions we make while we study but also this week we're launching what we call serve week our missions team has led us to spend this week focused on how we can love and serve our community. Sunday school classes, small groups are going to organize together and carry out all kinds of different acts of kindness or ways to serve the Lord and create Christian community all over our community for the next week. Now some classes went a little early, some classes are going to schedule their project a little later, but a great number of our small groups this week are going to devote some of their time and energy into making an impact all across our city and our community. So I'm excited to see what God does through that. It's another way for us to declare the goodness and the holiness of God. All right, well, if you found your place in your Bibles, Exodus 19, I'll begin with a word of prayer. Father, it's our joy to gather in your house as sisters and brothers to love each other and to love you well. I pray, Lord, in this time of Bible study, That your spirit would pierce our hearts and set us free. That you would lift our burdens. God, that you would convict us and free us from our mistakes and sins. I pray, God, that you would grant us hope and peace. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us today to be totally in awe of you. That you would give us a clear understanding of your size, of your majesty, of your power. And God, I pray that it would excite us at our very core. We love you. We ask that you lead us through this time of worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever met anyone that was so impressive it changed your life? Maybe some of you have met a president, or maybe some of you have have met a hero that you held for a long time. But if if we just stopped and passed the microphone, and we won't, but if we stopped and passed the microphone all around the sanctuary, and everybody got to share with the most impressive person that they ever met, Or the one meeting that changed their life more than any other. I wonder. I wonder what all would come out. I wonder who we talk about. You know, there are some people that you meet that are a little lackluster. You see them on TV, and then you meet them in person. You think, oh, okay. Well, I wasn't as impressed as I thought I'd be. Other people. Other people that you meet. I mean, you're just overwhelmed. Like in person, they're like larger to a lot than life. There's there's something about it that that a that a television screen or or the, the books, the words in print in a book they wrote just will not convey. There's something about them, their, their charisma, their charm, the size of their personality, the look in their eyes, something about some people that just mesmerizes or overwhelms you. Well, who's the most impressive person that you have ever met? Has your life ever been changed by one of these encounters up close and personal I was called uh, last week and given the opportunity one that I sadly I think I'm gonna have to decline to be a part of a, of a fundraiser event you know for a group of Baptists in the state and uh, they said you know would you like to go and I said you know I mean if I can help I'll go but maybe maybe not I don't know I mean it's what, what, what do I need to do they started to talk about it and then they mentioned they said oh oh and one of the speakers there is Tim Tebow. Now I know Tim Tebow gets mixed reviews. I realize football fans have divided opinions, but believers don't. And it just so happens that in the Skipper household, his biggest Mississippi-based fan is the curly-headed woman that lives in our house. Lindsey Skipper, like literally, literally, she needed a Broncos jersey, a number 15 Broncos jersey, which was like 75 bucks the year they went to the playoffs. Bought that sucker, then waved goodbye as he left Denver like two weeks later. The biggest Tim Tebow fan in the state of Mississippi may well be like on the sixth pew at Carterville, Lindsey Skipper, right? So this guy said, "Would you like? Would you like to go?" And I, I, I don't think we're going to be able to go, but I just thought, how cool would it be for Lindsey Skipper to get to meet Tim Tebow, right? I mean, larger than life. His biceps are bigger than my head. Then I thought about that as her husband I was like, "Well, maybe it's good for her not to meet him." You know what I'm saying? Because maybe then I would just be like, hey, why don't you work out or something? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. But Tim is just one of these guys, you know, that's just kind of got that big personality and big biceps. And you're just neat, neat person. Wouldn't it be cool to meet him, right? It's weird how we get all fanboy and fangirl sometimes over singers or actors or athletes, you know. We'll go out of our way to, like, get that selfie. We don't want them to see that we're getting it, but we're, like, we're like lining it up. You know, so we can tell our friends. And we get a little weird sometimes when we are in the presence of people that we think are great. I mean, we even talk about, like, sometimes I'll say, did you get to meet this guy? What was his personal? I mean, that's just how we are. Well, in the book of Exodus, everything has come to the moment. Like, in, in today's Bible passage, in Exodus 19... Like Israel's going to be at the foot of the mountain where they're going to see God and hear His voice. Now, now weeks ago, Moses had the burning bush. Take your sandals off. I am God. My name is I Am. Moses met God, and it changed him enough that he was willing to go back and face Pharaoh toe-to-toe. And tell all the Israelites, you guys are going to come with me. You're going to meet him. It's going to be amazing. Well, today is the day that these slaves are set free. Not just to go live as somebody else's slaves, but to meet God. And so as we read this passage, you're going to be reading about an up-close personal encounter that changed their future. And as people that God is setting free from mundane lives, setting free from addiction, setting free from arrogance, setting free from sin, as people who are being set free by the same living God that delivered the Israelites, I hope that you and I, when we look at this text, when we imagine God, I hope that we have the same wonder and amazement and fear and awe. Let's read Exodus 19, 1 through 6. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Now, you remember the burning bush. God told Moses, you'll come back here. Bring them back here. This This is space on the earth where God has chosen to be present. If you've ever been in a moment where you felt God near, where you felt His presence, I know He's Spirit and He is everywhere. I've studied theology, I gotcha. But if you've ever been in a moment where God chose to make Himself known, where the Spirit was just powerful, where your eyes were open, where your mind was aware, it gets a powerful feeling. Can you imagine walking up to the foot of the mountain that God has chosen as the space on planet Earth where He's going to introduce Himself to His people? And the presence of God is just humming in the air. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. All right, I want you to hear his speech. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, Then out of all nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. In verses 1 through 6, I want you to notice a couple of things. We're being set apart as a kingdom of priests. Well, Israel was in their day, but in Jesus, you're set apart as a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What was applied to God's people in Exodus 19 is extended to you through the Holy Spirit because of the power of Jesus to God's church today. You are invited to be a kingdom of priests. Now, just a few months ago, these people were slaves. They were making bricks for Pharaoh. They had no status, no power, no family, no home. But today they're being elevated to be priests. And a couple of things I need you to see as I inaugurate us as a kingdom of priests, as we walk out those doors in a little bit, aware that we are serving the community as a kingdom of priests, I want you to know a couple of things about it. Number one, I want you to recognize that our calling to be a priest, it's not a small thing, it's a big deal. See, slaves are the lowest status people in the community. In the ancient world, slaves are the lowest status But priests are almost the highest. I mean, there was Pharaoh in Egypt, but but priests in every culture in the ancient world were honored people. They had high status. They were celebrated. They were chosen by their gods. And in this case, the one God who really governs the whole universe has chosen these people. And if you think about it, think about it. How weird is this that any of those Israelites could have raised their hand and said, whoa, 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 you're asking me to be a priest? No, 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 no. Priests are important. Priests are born wealthy. Priests are chosen from birth. Priests are smart. They're educated. I was making bricks just a couple of weeks ago. I'm great at bricks. I don't know how to do it. I think you've chosen the wrong person. I don't deserve this. I'm not good enough. I don't know that I can live up to it. I'm not sure how to do this. Any of those slaves could have raised their hand at the foot of the mountain and said, We we're we're not qualified to be priests, but I need you to see that in the Old Testament the mercy and grace of God is the same as strong as it is in the New Testament. That God was taking people who did not deserve his name and putting his name on them. That God was taking people who did not deserve their freedom and asking them to be priest representatives for him. The same thing for you. I mean, God has made you a priest, not because you deserved it or earned it. God has called you to represent him on the earth. Because he loved you and chose to do it. Look, look at the pronouns. I know I just said a, a grammar word and that makes us scared. But just track these six verses looking at the I, that is God, and the you, that is us. Let's break it down, okay? This is what he says about I. He says, I carried you on eagle's wings. Do you recognize that God has delivered you? Like, we're, we were driving forever this week, and one of the things that we did is we you know listen to movie. the boys would watch movies in the back. And of course, we've seen them all, so we're remembering them in the in the you know in the van. Spoiler alert: If you haven't seen the movie The Hobbit, the boys pick the Hobbit, so we're listening to the DVD of The Hobbit while they're watching it. And at the end of the movie, The Hobbit, uh, you know, there's a bunch of or the first movie anyway, there's a bunch of really really bad scary people that are about to kill all the nice good people, right? And then suddenly, eagles, like huge eagles, come and rescue everybody. I'm sorry that I just ruined that movie for you. They, they came and rescued. They just grabbed them their claws. They put them on their wings. And they flew them off to a safe place. Beautiful image of, like, all of these small little hobbits and dwarves. They had no hope. They had no strength. But the eagles just grabbed them and carried them off to safety. And God is literally looking down at Israel. And he said, I carried you on eagles' wings. I delivered you from Pharaoh. I lifted my hand against Egypt. You did nothing. You literally did nothing. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God rescued us in Christ Jesus. You've been made a kingdom of priests by this God that wants to meet with you. Look at what else he says about this. In verse 4, he said, I I carried you on eagle's wings, and I love this, and I brought you to myself. That's the most important. Two words to me this. I brought you to myself. God didn't set Israel free so that they could have a chance to go out and prosper on their own. God didn't set them free from slavery because He felt guilty about how they were having to serve the Egyptians. I just wanted to give them a, a chance in the free market somewhere else. God did not set Israel free from slavery so that they could be free to themselves or slaves to somebody else. He did much better than that. He set them free so that He could bring them to himself. And the same thing is true for us. We grew up in the South. I grew up so afraid of God and afraid of hell. And I grew up thinking that church and religion was all about just escaping hell to to the point that I sort of believed that God saved me just so that I didn't have to go to hell and be a slave to my sins. But that's only half the story. It's not true. That's not it. God didn't save me just so I could escape hell because that kind of leads us to just saying, yet yeah, baptize me, do whatever you need to do so that I don't go to hell. I don't necessarily love the Lord, but man, I don't want to go to hell. Do whatever you got to do. That is not salvation. That's not the gospel. I mean, the gospel is that God loved you and invited you to become part of his family. You're not just escaping hell, you're living in the inheritance of God. And he's saying to the Israel, I carried you on eagle wings and I brought you to myself. Not just to prosperity, not just to safety, not just to security, not just to a better life, not just to a second chance. I brought you to me. And that's the point of the Bible. And that's the point of your deliverance in Jesus. Whatever else comes with it, great. But I'm encouraging our church to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let all those other things be added. But the real prize, the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is God himself. It's not what you get for following him. Some of us are really blessed for for following Jesus. I mean, God's allowed you to avoid a, a million pitfalls and you haven't taken pain. Good. Great. That's awesome. That's a benefit. Maybe he's given you a great spouse or a good family. Maybe he's blessed you financially or let you lead at work or use your influence terrific, praise God, be good stewards of all those blessings. But those blessings are the side benefits, they're not the point. The point is that God delivered you to bring you to himself. And everything else that you get as a part of your freedom, well, it's bonus, but it's not the point. The point is that God brought you to him, and anything less than that would be disappointing. Look at the word you here. God says to them, God God says to them this. He says, if you obey me, verse 5, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasure possession. If you read the Old Testament, if you read the Bible, uh, you know that this didn't work out perfectly. They were not able to keep his covenant, to obey him. They chased after idols, they chased after power, prestige, wealth. And they really did not get to carry out their one true function as Abraham's descendants, blessing the nations, being a kingdom of priests. But you know, I don't have to criticize Israel. I can take out a mirror. And I recognize that I don't keep God's covenant perfectly either. I recognize all the opportunities that I've missed, we've missed, the church has missed to be a priesthood for Jesus, to show our community who he is, to bring people to him. And we become self-absorbed or we become selfish or self-centered or lazy or arrogant. We miss our opportunities. But God said, if you obey me, here's some more use. You will be my treasured possession. You think about this? The, the God who owns the depths of the sea, the God who owns the boundaries of the universe, the God who owns everything, looks at me and you. Our lives are a vapor. We're tiny. We're wrong half the time. And he looks at us and he says, You will be my treasured possession. He spoke to Israel and said, You people, Abraham's descendants, my treasured possession. He looks at his church. You are, it blows my mind to think that God is crazy about me. Because I know who I am. Like, I know know my crazy thoughts. I I know my imperfections. I know my failures. I know know how I've disappointed you. I've disappointed me. I know who I am. And I'm thinking, treasured possession? Are are you sure? Treasured possession. Something kind of came to me years ago. Lynn's and I have three kids, and we, we, we love them all. Uh, I thought like I needed to say that just. To... When, our, when our oldest son was born, it's the, first, the first child we had, it sort of changed my perspective of God, my understanding of grace and of, and of unconditional love. And I tell parents this all the time. First, as a dad, I felt a huge burden because I realized that I was responsible for somebody else's faith for a while, like that it's my responsibility as a priest to let, make sure that my son... Knows who God is, right? Accurately knows who God is. Not some corrupt picture of God, but but the real one. That was heavy. But the second thing it did is, like, I suddenly loved this guy. I mean, like, everything in me, I loved him, right? Now, stop and let's think about this. I tell parents this all the time. Let's think about the love of God. Let's think about that little kid, right? No offense, my son's terrific now. He does all kinds of fancy things. Changed the starter in in one of the vehicles the other day. He's just so helpful now. But the day that kiddo was born, right, that first couple of months, Basically, that child contributes two things, right? They cry and they dirty their diapers. Like that's all the things that I noticed that they were like actually giving or doing, right? They they can't they can't talk, they can't answer questions, they can't run errands, they can't sweep the floor, they can't make money and bring it into the family for a couple of years. There, right? There's a little season where all that kid is doing is messing up his diapers and crying, so I cannot sleep. All right, stop. But do I love him? Unbelievably, love him. And I realized, that kid's not contributing anything yet to the household. Like the old Skipper Casa is not blessed by his investments yet. But I loved him tremendously. And I loved him not because of what he did, but I loved him because of what was in my heart. And then I suddenly realized, you are a treasured possession to God, not because you're so good, but because of who he is, because he's so good. He chose to love you, so just stop and be loved. Just stop trying to prove it or earn it. And as a church, just like look up and say, Holy cow, I cannot believe that you still love me the way that you do. You'll be my treasured possessions. You'll be a kingdom of priests. You know, a priest has an important job, right? It's a priest's job to stand in the middle. Here's what I mean by that. For a priest or pastor, our role is to look at a group of people that we love and represent. In, in, for, in a city or a church or whatever, and then also look up at a holy God who we love and serve and constantly stand in the middle. Now, I know that in the church, I don't really have to stand in the middle. You have direct access toward God, and that's powerful. But the job, the idea of a priest is that I'm constantly pointing people towards God and constantly praying to God and speaking to him about those people, right, so that I can serve you well and I can keep your attention on him. Now, again, in the New Testament age, I know that you don't need me to do that. But the job of a priest is to point people to God. So if we're being called a kingdom of priests, then that means we get to do a couple of things. Number one, we spend our life devoted to God, serving God, set apart to God, like wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, serving God. We belong to Him. But, but more, more than that, more than just that, right, it's also our responsibility and our opportunity to walk out these doors and point a whole community towards Him. Like it's our place to help people see how amazing He is. Like we're the tour guide. We're the one who says I saw him, I met him, he's amazing. Come give him a try. Let him change your life. He is better than whatever you've tried last, I promise. It's our job as priests to go to the football field, to go to the to band hall, to go to the volleyball court, go, good luck in the playoffs. It's our job to go to go to the to the workplace and to the to the highways and the hedges where you live, your subdivision, your neighborhood. It's our job as priests to go those places representing God. Looking at people And thinking, how can I love them and serve them for him? How can I point their attention towards him? How can I help them connect to him? So what would it mean that Israel was a kingdom of priests? It would mean that their special job on planet earth was to be a nation who showed all the nations around them that there's a loving God who has a plan for our lives. Like Their role was to live out the covenant, obey his commands, and show all their neighbors a better way. But when the priests start to forget that you're set apart and holy and act like everybody else, we lose that opportunity to do that. And that's what happened in the Bible. That's what happened for Israel. Like they, they conformed to the ways of their, of their neighbors. They weren't a king like their neighbors. They started to act like their neighbors. They worshiped idols like their neighbors. But their job was not just to be privileged in status, but their job was that they'd use that privileged status to help everybody else attain it. And that's the same for the church. The tragedy is that sometimes as a church we walk out those doors and we forget to look at our neighbors that way. We forget that we are supposed to be serving Jesus to redeem the nations. That we're priests, it doesn't stop with us. Our job is that we're supposed to connect people to Him. And you may say, Ben, I didn't go to seminary. I I haven't surrendered to some kind of full-time call to ministry or any of that kind of stuff. I, I don't, I know. This is the whole church. You are a holy people to God. His treasured possession. In the New Testament, you're invited in the book of 1 Peter to be a kingdom of priests. And so I want to ask you, as we go out today, are you ready to represent the Lord? As you read chapter 19 and 20, it gets pretty awesome. I mean, God speaks and the mountain quakes and like a volcano, like smoke billows out of the top of the mountain like a furnace like not a little smolder but like a furnace right god speaks to moses with a thunder the people tremble and are scared god warns them like three days from now you're going to meet with me for the next three days like you know, don't be don't be intimate with your spouse. Set yourselves apart. Do not be defiled. Don't be unclean. Consecrate yourself to me. Don't do anything unholy or unclean. Because three days from now, I'm going to let you walk up. Set a boundary. Nobody gets close to the mountain until I blow the ram's horn. But three days from now, after you've consecrated yourself, you can come forward. But don't move until I invite you, because I am holy. Here's the thing. As we're invited to meet with this God that brought awe and wonder at the foot of that mountain, we need to be remembered that. While we're invited in, we cannot take him lightly. If the Israelites had raced across the boundary and said, Oh, I'm so glad I'm free, and touched the mountain, they are going to die. Because you're invited to a relationship with the Holy God, but don't take that for granted. Like he, as they sit there, it's amazing to me. They spend three days consecrating their life, remembering that they're not common or ordinary, they're holy. Do you know what the word holy means? I'll define it for you. Put it in your notes, keep it. You'll become smarter and better. Look, here we go. Holy means simply set apart. The word holy means a thing is set apart. A holy spoon that, that Aaron and his sons would have used for the temple could not be used for anything else. It was only used for, you know, for their, their sacrifices. A holy altar, a holy fork, you know, a holy priest. It means the thing is set apart, number one, from sin. It's set apart away from sin. But number two, it's set apart for the service of God. And I don't know, maybe some of us today need to remember that while you're set free and invited to be a priest, maybe your next step is that you would consecrate your life. Remember that you are holy. That you would set yourself apart. Maybe for some of us that's what you need to do today. Is you need to say, look, I, there's a lot of things in my life that I need to clean up right now, remembering that I belong to God. I'm going to stop dabbling in the common. I'm going to stop being distracted. Maybe for some of us we need to recognize look, I've forgotten the fear of God. The fear of God is a good and holy thing. You know, in chapter 20, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and following, God tells you about the fear of the Lord. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. The fear of God is supposed to keep us holy. The fear of God is good. God is holy. And the fear of God is good. But you know, here's the unfortunate thing I see two abuses in the church. When we think about God's holiness, sometimes we take it for granted and we don't consecrate ourselves. We live common and sinful lives, not amazed or blessed that He has set us apart, not willing to live up to our calling. And that's a tragedy. And it means that you're not where you need to be. It means you're missing some of the things that God's called you to do or called you to be. So if that's you, just like set yourselves apart. Consecrate yourselves. Be holy to God. The second mistake I see in the church sometimes is exactly this. When Israel realized how big and good God is, they were right to fear Him and be in awe and wonder of Him. He wasn't there to hurt them, though. He was there to set them free. And if you you have a, a, a dad who's like, I don't know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You know, I mean, if you just have this big, like, strong dad that just strikes fear, you know, in everybody that sees him, right? That should be scary to everybody except his kids, right? His kids should say, nobody can hurt me. Because have you seen my dad's Deltoids? I mean, you know, and the fear of the Lord is a good thing. But for those who he loves, it should be a healthy fear. He's not out to harm or hurt you. But the other tragedy, the other mistake I see in the church Besides not consecrating ourselves by taking for granted not becoming holy, is we become so afraid you let an unhealthy fear set in and you distance yourself from God. You don't want to disappoint him, or you're afraid that you're afraid that, that, that he'll hurt you. Or when you see how holy God is, you say, I can't do that. I can't live up to that. I can't. I, I mean, there's no way. And so you just distance yourself. That's what they did. They told Moses, from now on, you talk to him. We heard his voice, we heard him shout out those Ten Commandments, scared us to death. It'll be better for us if we don't do that again. From now on, you just talk to him for yourself, and you come and tell us what he said. It's sad to me that at this moment in Bible history, Israel relegated themselves to hear the mouths of the prophets, but to stop hearing the voice of God. And a lot of people in Christianity do the same thing. They're happy to hear their Sunday school teacher, they're glad to hear the preacher once in a while, but they're not pursuing God themselves. You're not aware. You don't have to keep your distance from God. Please approach Him. He's invited you in. Make yourself holy and then approach Him. Now, here's the deal. You've got to come on His terms. Like, He told Moses, three days, don't move until the ram's horn blows. How cool is it that God blew a horn? And in the Bible, in chapter 19, go home, read it. Sounds like God blew the horn. So three days later, like the mountains start shaking and smoking and like fires in the mountain and thunder from God and everybody's terrified and then God blows the horn which is basically God saying, now come close. I want you near me. Come on, come on. God invites the people under his terms. He invites them. And that's what I want. I don't want you to just to take him for granted but I also don't want you to run from him and hide from him. I just want you to approach him on his terms. Like in the book of Exodus, God has given Israel a way to be near to him. In the Bible, he's done the same thing. In the New Testament, he's done the same thing. (laughs) Exodus of the Bible, I know. In the New Testament, he's done the same thing. In Jesus, he's given you the righteousness of Christ so that our sins and mistakes can be atoned for and you and I can come close to our Father. As we reflect on what that means, I just want to ask you, are you willing to approach God for the rest of your life in Jesus? I want to encourage you, do not settle for secondhand stories or distant glimpses of God. Determine that for the rest of your life you'll draw near to Him. You will hear His voice. You'll set yourself apart for His service. To your dying breath, you'll love and be His treasured possession. So wrap up the service. I just want to invite, want to invite our deacons to come stand up front. We're going to take communion in a moment. And as they come, I just want to set this up for you. Very much... In Christ Jesus, you are invited to the foot of the mountain. You're invited to God's presence. Like He's chosen to pass over our sins. He's chosen to redeem and forgive us, to heal us in Christ Jesus. And every time the church takes communion together, we're remembering literally the bread represents his body that was broken for us, and the cup that we'll drink together represents his blood that was poured out for us. Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be cleansed and adopted so that we could be near God on His terms. And as we take this communion meal together in just a moment, this is what I want to invite you to do. The Bible says examine yourself, so I want you to examine yourself. But as you examine yourself, don't just focus on your imperfections. Focus on the gospel of Jesus that is making you righteous. Like, sit right there, and as you hold this cup or as you wait for this cup, like, do your business with the Lord right now. Just. Reflect on your salvation, on your baptism. Hey, if you're off course, if you've blown it, great. There's no better time in the world for you to get that right than right now. As you hold that cup and remember what Jesus did for you. As you hold that cup, I want you to just remind yourself, you are his treasured possession. He died for you. In just a moment, the deacons will help me as we pass out the elements of communion. If you are a believer, if you've given your life to Christ Jesus and made that public, you're invited to participate with us as you take these elements.